Shop all things Jerry Johnson at therealcherry.com. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Well, Baxter Blue Glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter out 90% of the highest energy of blue light, eliminating 99% of the glare. This past year, we've all been glued to our devices way more than ever. I know that I wake up and then get on my phone just to go to my laptop, just to get back on my phone. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Well, Baxter Blue is a force for good. They provide a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This eyewear is built for the digital age, and Baxter Blue has given our listeners 10% off of their next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kid classes. Just click the link in our show's bio for the exclusive discount. This is a sign that you've been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know that you'll love Baxter's. And we know that you'll feel the difference. Welcome to Cherry's World. Hey, Cherry's World Podcast. I am Cherry Johnson and my co-hosts, Mr. Courtney Blackman, are here today with Miss Jessica Nicole. That's right. My boo is in the house. We are talking about my fiance from Punky Brewster. So stay tuned, you'll get to meet her the way I know her. This is Cherry's World. Hi, this is my book. Cucumbers are delicious. My mom tried to hide me from the public, but it didn't last. I have big dreams, you know. Make sure that you can find it. Would you like to advertise on Cherry's World and have your product placed on Cherry's social media for the world to see? Email us now at cherriesworldpodcast at gmail.com for low introductory rates. Cherry's World Podcast. Get heard. Welcome to Cherry's World. Shop all things Cherry Johnson at therealcherry.com. I miss you, girl. <laughs> oh, man. I seriously, I haven't seen you in two, three months. Yes. And it feels long. Like, I'm What is time? I've lost my sense of time. Um, I do know it's Friday. Um, that's that's about all that I know. So it could have been three years that I last saw you. I really, I just it's it's been it's been tough. I feel like I have. Um, I feel like I'm experiencing what many people experienced in the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I have not. I have not been depressed, I've been angry, <laughs> and I've been scared, and I've been stressed, but I've been, for the most part, pretty, you know, good emotionally, and I think now that we're reaching the end of it, it seems like the end, it seems like it's so, it's within our sights, but I still don't know when the actual end is, and it's it's making me feel so restless, and I am really depressed right now. <laughs> oh, 
Well, thank you for not canceling. Oh my gosh, you kidding me? It's not the kind of depression where I can't do stuff. It's just the kind of depression that's like, I'm full of malaise. I'm unmotivated. I'm just ready for something to be different about the world. So this is a joy to get to see your face and to chat with you. So thank you for having me. Oh my God. Letting me talk about (laughs) You're so beautiful. So I do, I want to start with Punky and then I want to go like, there's a whole career before Cherry. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I want to start with our journey together. What was it like when the producers or I don't know who approached you, your agent approached you about being Cherry's girlfriend? Um, Well, I would say there was no approaching. It was just an email in my inbox that said, here's an audition. way less exciting than than I wish that it was. And um, I've gotten really good about saying no to auditions that I just, that don't suit me, that I'm not interested in projects that are not written well. I will say no in a heartbeat. I am too old to be playing like some crap role in a show that I'm going to be embarrassed about at some point. So I would say initially I was like, Punky Brewster reboot. That's the first time I saw reboot where I was actually excited about it. I guess because it's the first time I was actually an audience member of an original show that's been rebooted. So it was the first time that it clicked for me because there have been a lot of reboots over the past several years that I've kind of been, you know, whatever, that one's not for me, no big deal. This was the first time I realized how significant it is to uh, be a part of a world, you know, a TV world, but be a part of the punky and cherry verse, multiverse rather. And it's almost like, oh, they grew up at the same time that I've grown up. We just haven't been in touch. So now we get to see each other decades later and just catch up on everything. It's like having a high school reunion, (laughs) but one that you're excited to attend because I'm not going to any of my high school reunions. I didn't go. Right? (laughs) But so, um, yeah, I was, I was immediately intrigued and excited and also you know, uh, I have, I am an out queer black woman and there are not a lot of roles for queer women that come across my, you know, my plate, my email, my whatever. And so I saw it and I was like, oh, this is so cool, but I'm probably not going to get it because I never get cast as queer roles. This is the first queer role I've had in network television and I've been out my whole career. So there was a part of me that was excited and then like, I'm not going to get it. It's probably going to go to a straight person, um, which is what usually happens. And so the fact that I, you know, auditioned for and it was really sweet and fun, but then I actually got it was like, well, look, look at the world, look at the universe. Sometimes you're expecting one thing and you get something that's way better. And so I was, I was really just thrilled to be, to be a part of the show. Why do you think that you don't get queer roles or that they go to straight people? Do you think there's like a stereotype that Hollywood goes for when it comes to? Uh, I personally do. And it's really hard to know because there are not a lot of out actors in Hollywood. So we can't, you know, especially black women, like there was a period of time I was the only black queer woman on primetime network TV for like years. There just wasn't anybody else except for Wanda Sykes, um, which that's great because I was in good company, but still. Um, and so I don't really know the reason behind it, but I do have an idea that um, 
I think that the people in charge, like the network executive uh, executives and the producers and the director, they feel like going with a straight actor is safe. It's like it's not all the way queer. So they it's like they're throwing you a bone. We got a queer storyline in here, but we're not going to bring queer actors too because they think that it's going to, I don't know, push audience members away or make them uncomfortable. I think that network executives make lots of decisions about what audiences want that are completely, completely off the mark. So, um, you know, there's this idea that, you know, uh, if people aren't sexy to the straight community, if they know that they're queer or they're not palatable, I, I honestly can't make my brain work in the way that homophobic brains work. So I couldn't tell you exactly why it is. Right. I just know that straight actors get them all the time. And I don't. And I don't think that I'm untalented. <laughs> is extremely talented. You don't have to say all that sweetness, but just like for real, you know, it, it would be one thing if I was like insecure about my work and it was like, oh, maybe I'm just not good enough for it. But I know that's not true. I know that I'm good enough for it. So it's it's usually stuff that's kind of beyond what I can maybe comprehend because they don't talk about it in the same way that as a black actor in Hollywood, you don't know about all the roles that you didn't get because you were black or what they say, you know, in the decision making rooms about your blackness or whatever. Y having lived as a black person for so long, you can kind of have an idea of why, what might be, might be said about you, but you don't know for sure. And I feel like it's the same thing with queerness. I don't know the conversations that people are having, but I see their faces when I mention, you know, my spouse's name. Um, I've seen the energy or felt the energy in a room change when my, when my partner came in to like, give me a hug after a show. And I was talking to like all these producers and all of a sudden they're like, oh, I, I see that happen. You know, like that has to have something to do with um, the kind of roles that that I get offered. But I just keep trucking along because I'm I'm always going to be here. And I know that whatever roles that I get, it is still impactful and powerful. You know, whether it's a big blockbuster film or some smaller kind of show, I know that when people see people like us, people who are women of color, uh, people of color, and then people like me who were queer, they can connect to that. So if if one person sees me and says, oh my gosh, I didn't know that you could like be this kind of person and be successful and be living your life happily, then like my work is done. Aww. My work is totally done. <laughs> and then you come on a show like with Punky and Cherry and you mention your partner's name and we get all excited. <laughs> <laughs> lots of people do it's the people who are making uh decisions and thinking about money that feel uncomfortable with it but you know for the most part again claire's been in my life we've been together for almost 15 years so i just it's just normal to have you know them in my life and if people are into it or not I, like i could really care less because i'm just gonna live my life and be I happy I'm sorry, Courtney, go ahead. I ain't going to take over. I mean, she is my girlfriend and everything. I mean, uh, come on. <laughs> well, well, let me start with, um, well, I got a couple questions on the show. Are we done talking about the show? Or we can I No, we're never done talking about the okay, show. Okay, well, well, I want to skip around because, like, when you go straight to your Instagram page, you have on there Black Lives Matter and Abolish the Police. And I remember when I first started working with Cherry, I was like, you know, I always try to, as much as I can, you know, 
keep the sensor button on Cherry. So I don't want to get her in. I don't, I don't want her in. censors me too. That's one of the reasons why I love her. She makes me a better person. Yeah. Often. <laughs> um, were you ever like, I mean, obviously you're not worried about it, but abolish the police. That's a, that's a strong stance that not everybody's willing <laughs> to make y'all. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it's coming from a strong place of uh, of us needing to change the way that this society is structured. You know, if it weren't about actual lives being murdered, then this would it then it would feel like whoa, that's that's kind of a big thing to say right now. But historically, we have so much history behind the police, behind a racist institution of police force in this country, and. Um, I am not interested in being palatable to white people. I just cannot bother myself to try and cater to their sensibilities because look at where we are. Hundred, hundreds of years away from, from slavery and still just completely entrenched in the effects of what institutionalized racism and white supremacy has, has done to our community. And yet we keep rising and yet we're still resilient and yet we still create incredible art and yet we're still so smart and so dedicated to our community. They cannot hold us down, but it's because we have to keep fighting. And so for me, uh, if somebody is uncomfortable with me saying that we need to both defund and hopefully eventually abolish the police, they're not paying attention to facts. They're paying attention to how they feel. They're paying attention to their emotions, but they're not actually looking at the historical records that show that the police force is an oppressive entity against communities of color. Oh, I mean, I, I agree. I, I just, know you know. I know you know. Yeah, I, I just can't <laughs> believe that someone with a like with a. Um, a job like yours could would make that stance like that's something, yeah. that's something like I would say, but like I wouldn't. Wow. Yeah, I guess I don't feel like I have uh, much to lose because being an actor in Hollywood is a job. It is a job. It's not my personality. It's not my whole life. And I want it to I want to keep it a job. I don't ever want to feel like I have to water myself down again to be palatable um, to people who already don't like me, you know, in, in a lot of ways, whether they recognize their own, you know, racist or homophobic tendencies or not. Um, I'm already somebody that's a little bit hard to swallow for some people. And so I'm just going to live. I'm just going to live in that truth. Like, I don't want I don't want to. Um, I don't want to like whitewash it. Essentially, the way that white that history has been so whitewashed for us. Like, I want to be honest about where I'm coming from. And the the other truth is that I think it's possible to have a good working relationship with somebody who has some fundamentally different beliefs than you do. Like, I'm pretty sure most of the people who were making Punky, who are on the producer side of it, aren't necessarily into abolishing the police. But I could still work with them. You know, like I still showed up and was a professional and did did the work that I had to do. But um, yeah, like I, I exist outside uh, outside of Hollywood, and I don't I don't ever want to feel like um, I owe Hollywood anything because again, like 
if you know your talent and you know what you what you're offering, then it's not about any extra stuff. Like I'm going to show up and be professional and do a great job regardless. And I'm also interested in showing my community that I support them and I support their well-being. And the only way that I can do that is to be honest about, you know, my own political beliefs. And and, you know, people have this idea that again, it's people who were ignorant. They're not paying attention to any actual facts or information, but they say, oh, to defund or to abolish the police. Well, guess everybody's going to get raped now and nothing's going to happen. The truth is that people get raped all the time and nothing happens. The truth is that there are hundreds of thousands of kits, rape kits that have never been documented or turned in to see if like the actual perpetrator is in their system because a lot of people don't believe women when, when they say that they've been raped. Um, like it's just, it's, it's, it's so much bigger. Um, and we have to, we have to be able to use our imaginations and envision a world that looks different than the one that we have been brought up in. I think that there is a way to have a whole system of people who are mental health advocates who show up when somebody is experiencing some kind of like a uh, mental health crisis. We don't need police showing up with guns to help, uh, you know, somebody who's neurodivergent and is having an episode in a public space. We don't, we don't need that. That's why people are getting killed all the time because the police are taught that the only way to um, diffuse the situation is with violence and, and power. And we just know that that, that that isn't true. And so I'm hoping that when people go to my Instagram page and they do see abolish and defund the police, that it will make them consider, oh, who, this person that I see on TV that I respect, whose work that I really like, who I think is talented, is saying this thing that's so different than what I believe. What's to that? What does that mean? Where can I find more information about that? That's 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 my biggest hope. Wow. I love I love her, Courtney. Not not not. Look, just so you know, when we get together, it's a huge love fest. I love her. It is. She's smart. She's talented. You never know what's going to come out of her mouth. And every day, <laughs> she reminds me of me. It's like looking in a mirror. It's a different. <laughs> Every time, like we might do a scene and then walk away from each other for 10 minutes, but when we come back, the conversation is totally different and intriguing than what we had when we left each other. Mm. And, so, and this is the first time you guys met was on, was on a set? That's the first time you guys met? Mm -hmm. The what? first time we met, it was, she had on a mask and a shield. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I got yeah. to see her face five minutes before I got to kiss her. Oh. <laughs> That's right. Nice. Literally, right? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. What what was it like kissing me, Jessica? Cherry, what? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um I don't I, I mean it was it was fine. I've been kissing women for a long time, women and non-binary people. So for me, it was just a really pretty set of lips um to kiss. What was it like kissing me, Cherry? Amazing. It was like I finally got it. I got to greet you the way I would want to. You know, like I was. <laughs> no, 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 wait. Because like we had to stay six feet apart. So when I met her, I wasn't able yes. to even walk up and give her a hug. Yeah. Say, yeah. Hi, hi. Not that I just want to walk up to strangers and like tongue them down, but you know, somebody <laughs> who you know that you're going to be working in 
close proximity with her. Her energy is beautiful. She's a ray of light. So I would have loved to walk up and Aww. say, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for yeah. being I wasn't really able to do that. Yeah. You know, I, f- I found her outside of her trailer, thank God, but it was still mask and shield and we were staying away from each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was a really weird environment. And that's why I, I kind of asked her, like, what was it like? Kiss? Because literally she saw me for five minutes. Right. Yeah, it, I I truly did. That was the first time that I saw the bottom half of your face, like from when you were a little girl. Like, <laughs> I know it was so bizarre and and that's the other thing is that when you join a show you know you're kind of joining somebody's family they're inviting you into their family and so um those first few days on set are that's your that's your opportunity to make relationships with people and get to know them and learn about them and you know I was so thankful that I was working but COVID really stripped that away from all of us I think on the show I do think that we formed our relationships, but it just took a long time because we could not hear. I could not hear what anybody was saying because the face shields would bounce your voice back. And then you couldn't read lips like you normally do when you can't hear very well because they were covered up with the mask. And so for the first like three or four days that we were together, I was just nodding my head a lot and raising my eyebrows because I didn't know what anybody was saying to me. And I was trying to emote as much as possible. I would come home with headaches from like going like that all day long with people to let them know I was listening and trying to engage with them. It was just exhausting in a way that I've never experienced being on a set before. I kept telling her, I'm smiling at you. (laughs) (laughs) We love Jessica. So Leigh and I have had many conversations about how Jessica came in and it's like, we don't really remember a time when you were never there. (laughs) That's a huge compliment. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so you can go on. Yes. You can get off Punky now because I know he's got many. Well, I do got uh, two more Punky questions. What what, okay. did, what did both of you all think of the, um, and can we talk about the specific scenes or? Yeah. Okay. I think the spoiler time is over. Okay. All right. Yeah, what, it's out. Yeah. What did both of you all think of um, the engagement episode when you guys <sighs> both proposed to each other? Oh, the, uh, let me tell you. Start. The, the most beautiful moment for me was not even on camera. I don't even know if Jessica remembers it, but Jessica walked in the door and they had called cut and we had to do it again. Jessica looked at me and said, what else do you need from me? (laughs) (laughs) What a dream. Are you kidding? Nothing, I need you. Um, For me, that scene was, um, you know, it was interesting because I had actually auditioned with that scene and uh, that scene and another scene. And so my partner and I, they always like they'll do the reader version. They'll read with me for my auditions on the other side of the camera. And uh, we've been married for a long time, but we didn't have a wedding or anything like that um, because I'm just not into weddings. So we got married with like one witness and our, you know, the person who does it, who makes it legit, (laughs) right in our living room. It was cool, low key, not a big deal. But there was no, um, 
there's no like romantic involvement or excitement when you together make the decision to get married. And again, I wouldn't take it back. I don't regret it, but there's something that's very, um, you know, uh, sweet and lovely when you see people get married and have an engagement or you see it um you know portrayed in a movie or a tv show or something and so there was this part of us that was like that got to kind of live through an engagement when we were actually auditioning for it which was unexpected but so fun and so um when i got to do it on on stage with cherry it was just like um it's like getting to live different versions of your life honestly. And that only happens when you can really personally connect to a character, which again, this is the first queer role that I've ever played on network television. So I had a different kind of connection to it than any other role that I've ever played. And it was just, um, it was just lovely and sweet in all the ways that you would want an engagement to be. I will also say though, that there was, you know, um, Cherry and Soleil have a very special bond because they've known each other for so long and not only known each other for so long, but went through a lot of life together at a very young age. You know, there's not a lot of people who have the exact kind of story that that y'all have shared together. And so you could even tell in the way that the scene was the way that the scene was written was that Punky was supposed to be a very integral part of this engagement. And there were a lot of moments that Cherry and Soleil had together on set where it felt like it was this, it felt like a family was expanding as opposed to like two people uniting. It felt like, oh my gosh, this family unit that they have has gotten bigger. Lauren is being invited into the fold too. And I just thought that was sweet. You don't really get to see um, you know, romance kind of depicted in a, in a way that's so inclusive of other people. And that's what the Punky Brewster show is about. It's about chosen family. It's about surrounding yourself uh, with the people that uplift you and support you, encourage you, and, and kind of eschewing the idea that family has to look nuclear or has to be traditional. It doesn't have to be any of those things if you're getting everything that you need out of it. And so I felt like this particular scene was just like a little bit of icing on that whole punky reboot cake. Uh, can I, this is my last, well, maybe not my last, yeah. but, but um, I don't know if I, I, me and Cherry have been working together since 2019. And oh, wow. yeah, she didn't, she, she didn't tell me none of this. So like <laughs> I found out about all of this when everybody else found out. So, so, so look, me and her, we do a podcast where we interview people. I actually, I actually watch her interviews and I actually listen to a lot of her interviews. And so when she said that, um, when they, when they told her about her role, she says, you got to understand that a lot of men have grew up attracted to me. So, sure. so I need, if I'm going to be this role, I need a beautiful woman and voila, they picked you. How does that make you feel? I need a beautiful woman to be my. I did. I told him, bring me a baddie. I said, <laughs> because I didn't want them to do the stereotypical, you know, we have one who's a femme, one who's a stud. We have, I didn't want the stereotypes and I needed to. You know, it's, it's so, okay. <laughs> I'm caught up. I'm caught up. I'm caught up. Um, I guess it makes me feel good because Cherry got what she wanted, which makes mm -hmm. me happy. I will also say though, that um, it is very rare to see 
uh, butch women depicted in in television. They don't they don't like seeing masculine women on TV. They are way more comfortable with like feminized uh, feminized gay women. That again, that's like a safe thing for them. Oh, take 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 a look back in your mind of all the all the four <laughs> black queer relationships that you've seen in TV. There just aren't that many of them. But um, I'll tell you what, um, there it's. Yeah, having masculine women on TV, it makes them extremely uncomfortable. And so that is something that I hope will change. I think it all feeds into the same thing. The more that we normalize, again, what a non-traditional relationship looks like in television and film, the more opportunities we have to show like how vast our queer community is, how vast our Black community is. It's the same thing. Like we're finally coming out of a period where we only see Black people in these kind of ways. And that is one of the reasons that Insecure was such a big deal because it was showing Black women who weren't like necessarily all powerful and like I'm a lawyer like yes we have those black women but we also have like black women who are trying to figure it out and looking for love in absolutely all the wrong places and making crappy decisions like we I can I can name you 1700 different ways there are to be white based on what I have seen on television but we black people don't get 1700 different ways to be black like it's just it's not a part of mainstream. And that's because black people aren't allowed to be making all these decisions. It's always still white people who are in charge and putting on TV again, what they think audiences want to see. So I feel like all of this is a step in, in the right direction. Um, but to be able to like evolve our understanding of what a community looks and feels like instead of having it be this very um, flat thing, like, you know, this is what it looks like to be gay, or this is what it looks like to be trans or whatever it is. I wanna, I wanna expand that. Like there's so, it's such a vast community. All of our marginalized communities are so vast. I wanna see every single side of them in television and in movies and in books. <laughs> <laughs> so will you be writing some books? Uh, Lord knows, <laughs> I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'd I'd love to write. I'd love to write, but I don't I don't know. This is Cherry's World. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Well, Baxter Blue Glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter out 90% of the highest energy of blue light, eliminating 99% of the glare. This past year, we've all been glued to our devices way more than ever. I know that I wake up and then get on my phone just to go to my laptop, just to get back on my phone. Our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Well, Baxter Blue is a force for good. They provide a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This eyewear is built for the digital age and Baxter Blue has given our listeners 10% off of their next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kid classes. Just click the link in our show's bio for the exclusive discount. This is a sign that you've been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses. We know that you'll love Baxter's and we know that you'll feel the difference. Courtney, I don't know if you know this, but I can almost guarantee you that the shirt that she has on, she made. She makes all of her clothes, including her shoes. Yeah, and I saw her, I saw it says she makes her undergarments too, like, <laughs> Really? I didn't know that much, Courtney. See, now you, uh, really? You're making 
brought undies and stuff too? Oh, I think they came bras and underwears for so, so long. I can make anything. I can make anything. <laughs> wow. I'm telling you, she's not, she can also sing. No, oh, God. Not Halo, <laughs> but that girl can sing, Courtney. Mm. She made me fall in love with her again in the treehouse. I have oh, that's right. <laughs> I happen to be running my mouth. No disrespect to Claire at all. But I happen to be running my mouth and I said that I love Claire too. That um I was in love with Hamilton. <laughs> and while we were standing there, all of a sudden there were two voices. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? It was Jessica. And Lauren, the little girl. Lauren. Yeah. And they were serenading. They weren't really serenading me. They were we were serenading you. We were serenading you. You're welcome. <laughs> Always you. They were serenading me. And I was like, this is the most wonderful experience of my life. Because they <laughs> We're just trying to keep ourselves entertained on that, on that set. Yeah. That's all I will say. What, what was it like working um, for or with uh, Shonda Rhimes? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, first of all, she told me that she was a fan of Fringe, and that's why she brought me onto the show. And that was a huge, that's a huge deal. But I was also like, you watch TV? Like, woman, you are so busy. How do you have time to watch, like, right. all these random shows on, on television? Um and honestly, I think I got to spend maybe five minutes with her or something because she had three, I think there were three shows on at that time. Because I think, I don't know if Murder was already on, on TV at that point. But anyway, um, she was very busy and I was just really excited to be able to to work with that cast and particularly Guillermo, who I think is just so talented and so fun. And I didn't really get to work with Carrie, but she was so nice. Like she made a point to come up to me and say, you know, thank you so much for being here. And you always know what kind of experience you're gonna have on a show if the number one takes the time to come and say hi to you. I've had so many experiences on both sides of, of them. And when you have a, a mean, a mean number one, <laughs> The whole thing is going to be, the whole thing is going to be off. It's just never going to work. And so uh, Carrie was lovely. And then obviously on this show, uh, our, our number one Soleil is like incredibly inviting and warm and sweet. And that means a lot because I am an observer. I just like to show up and see what the mood is like. I don't come in like dancing and everything. I got to be chill first and see how people look to be operating and and those are the things that you pay attention to like how how does how does the number one the number two the number three how are they treating their crew members what is the you know what are the uh, dynamics between the the producers and all the actors of the show it can be like walking um into like uh i don't know a forest fire sometimes when you show up to a show and that's when you're like Thank God I'm just a guest star. I'm only going to be here for three days and then I'm out. I don't have to deal with any of y'all's mess again. But it was not like that on Punky. And it was not like that on um, on Scandal. Although I wouldn't say that everybody was lovely and friendly. But you know who to avoid. You know who to watch out for. Um, you know you know who's going to make you feel uh, 
comfortable and safe and and who is absolutely not going to do that. You know that pretty early on if you're good with following your gut, which hopefully in Hollywood you are because you're always being thrown into these situations with a lot of people and a lot of different dynamics. And if you want to stay on your game, you have to be like very, very sure and confident in who you are and what you have to deliver so that you don't let any of that other drama affect what work that you're able to do on that set. Absolutely. I hope that Punky is like joining a wild party that you'll know. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was as much as it could be with COVID, you know, like I think any other show would have been probably miserable to be a part of. I was so glad to be on a fun, funny show on a show that was a sitcom that was supposed to be lighthearted and fun because working during a pandemic, like, no, uh-uh, I don't like it. I do not. Speaking of Fringe, I don't want to forget about that because I posted a picture of you, Soleil, and I when we were standing in court. Yeah. Oh, and yes, yes. Getting inboxes like crazy. They were like, I love her from Fringe. Such oh, gosh. Like, that's my girl. So, and I, that's, that's the reaction I was praying that we would have. But yeah. tell us about your role in, in the experience on Fringe. Um, you know, that was a tough experience. It was a real tough experience for me. And it was my first big TV role that like actually went to series. And so I was so, I was so excited. I, like, you know, when you have been auditioning for a long time, I'd moved to New York. I thought I was going to be in Broadway musicals and I ended up doing more TV and film and film. And, and you, you feel yourself climbing up and you're like, wow, it's happening. Like I am, I am developing a career right now. This is so wonderful. And you finally get the role that you're like, this is what I've been working towards for, you know, the past two or three years. And then you realize that it's, you know, sometimes the dreams that you're working so hard for aren't actually the dreams that you wanted to have. And um, there was a lot of mistreatment of, of a lot of people, but I can only speak, speak on behalf of myself. Um, I have so many terrible stories from being on that show, but I will say day one, it started where um, they wouldn't give me rides to work every other series regular in the show was getting rides to work. Now, mind you, I'm the only black woman on the show, only one of two black people and the only black woman. And right off the bat, you're like, oh, I'm getting treated differently. Maybe it's an accident. Maybe it, it, we just got to like work some stuff out. And it, and, it, and it wasn't. And I had to fight for myself and advocate for myself that whole freaking show. And, you know, with all this stuff coming out about other actors of color who have been a part of that specific production team who brought Fringe to life, you don't, Nicole Bahari, she didn't have a good time on the show that she was on with them. John Boyega, he's come out to say like he hasn't been treated very well and that the producers haven't been um, standing up for him and trying to call out all the racist stuff that the fandom is throwing at him. Like they just let it happen. And um, I guess the good thing about it is that I did learn how to stand up for myself. I learned how to say no. It took me years to, to be able to do it and say, no, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't, I don't want to, or it doesn't suit me or for whatever reason, like, no, but nobody should have to, 
to go through mistreatment and and being gaslit for years. Like I was I was pretty miserable on that show. And you know what? Here's what has happened is at the end of it, when you know I talk about it publicly and people who I worked with, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you were going through that, blah, blah, blah. Because I am a professional and it was my job to show up and do my work. So I always will. And you know, this is to to your point that you made earlier, Courtney. Um it has been a little bit scary to come out and be honest about my experiences on that show because it's a sci-fi show. There's a lot of white men who are big fans of it. So if you say something that uh, kind of tarnishes their image of their favorite sci-fi TV show, they come at you real hard with a lot of hate because their love of the show is more important than a real person's lived experience of that show. And it took me a while to say, they aren't more, their needs are not more important than my, than my experience. I'm just going to be open and honest about it because I can't read another black woman's story about how she was mistreated as a journalist at KCRW or how she went through this terrible ordeal as the only black person in this situation or this industry. I can't read their stories and say, oh my gosh, I'm standing in solidarity with you. You know, you deserve better and not be honest about the shit that I went through too. Like it just, you, you can't really have both. And so I want, I know that nothing will change if we're not honest about the experiences that we've had, the microaggressions that we face, the racism that we face, the misogyny, the homophobia, whatever it is. If we're not vocal about it, there's no way it's going to change. And that's what they are banking on. They want to keep us silent because then they don't have to do anything differently. But then what happens is you end up holding that shame yourself and going through the world, which I did after Fringe was over for years. It was like getting out of an abusive relationship. And I I kept thinking about, man, you know, may maybe I should have done this or I should have spoken up more about this. Or I, I started thinking that I wasn't good enough and that that's why I was being mistreated. And I just, I know that that's not true. And I'm sure that's because of therapy. You know, I've, I've been in therapy and I'm working through all my, all my stuff, but um, I just, I just rebuke the idea um, that, that women and people of color and black people specifically have to kind of participate in these respectability politics so that they can keep moving up in the world. Um, I, I don't think that we should have to. I think that we should be able to keep moving up and also be honest and say, y'all need to change this and y'all should have done this and you didn't because the people coming up underneath us, all they're gonna do is have to keep working like twice as hard because we went through it and we didn't say anything. So mm -hmm. if I'm saying something now, hopefully that means all these people coming up behind us are gonna have a, a slightly easier go of it. I, that's the hope at least, that's what I hope. Uh, my segues are not good. That was very, that, no, serious, that was deep. Um, but my, uh, my wife and my, like my best friend, they know you from the good doctor. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh -oh. Yes. Uh -oh. and then, you know what? No, I had an amazing time on that show. I loved working with Freddie. Um, I loved my character and here is something that I've realized. So, 
that was the first, The Good Doctor is the first time that I played the romantic lead in like television or film. It was a huge deal for me because again, I am a black queer woman. You do not see us on shows with a lot of white people. Like usually you'll, you'll see us on black TV shows as that, but you don't really see us integrated into like, you know, typically white, white shows that have a, a mostly white audience, um, membership or whatever you want to call it. So um, I was absolutely thrilled. It, I just loved the, what they wrote for me. And I was so excited to be a part of it. And I started getting a lot of hate mail as soon as I started having yes, Hi. a romantic relationship with the white lead. Girl, why do you think? Oh. So here, here, here is a connection that I made. And I will make this brief. On Fringe, I played an FBI agent very, very smart, but who is basically saddled with being a babysitter of this um, really brilliant doctor who's kind of like not not all there. He kind of goes in and out of, of lucidity and he's got some mental health issues. And so instead of being an FBI agent, she's like taking care of him. And so she, you don't ever get to know her life. I know, I see the faces you're making, Cherry, and I agree. I agree. You never, her name, the character's name is Astrid. You never know any backstory about her. You don't know if she dates anybody. You don't know where she lives. She has no life outside of this relationship with these people and this, and this quote unquote mad scientist doctor taking care of him. So you could call her a magical Negro. Like that's the kind of term for the person who shows up, always has the right answers, doesn't really have much of their own opinion or what's going on with them. They're just there to serve the white characters. So finally on The Good Doctor, I get to play this badass, cool pathologist lady. She's smart. She knows what she wants. Um, she's beautiful. She's got great style. Um, and she's in a relationship with the neurodivergent person and so they're having to like really pay attention step by step to their relationship so that it can move forward because both of them are, are a bit out of their comfort zone and the people that wrote me hate hate mail about this character and hated this character so much versus this character I played I never got I never read one bad thing about Astrid on Fringe. Everybody loved her, loved her. Fan favorite at the Comic-Cons constantly, like just, just everybody loved her because she didn't challenge them because yeah, no, she had no opinion. She had no depth. She was only there in service to the white people. So now when I play this black woman who was not in service to the white characters around her, who has her own opinions and her own life and her own ideas about how things are gonna be, that's when I start getting like, the, the more in depth a, a black character is written, the less white audiences wanna have anything to do with her. And that it has been such a difficult pill to swallow to recognize that this is the industry I have chosen to be a part of when it needs so much work. It just needs so much work. So, and on top of that, the good doctor let me go after, after the third season. So essentially the character was brought on to um, help this help in quotes, help this, um, this person that she's dating, like have his first romantic experiences. And she like, you know, they have sex together and it's the first time he's ever had sex. And he has all these firsts with her. And then he realizes he's actually in love with the white girl that he knew from a couple of seasons back. And you know what? That happens 
but then they let the character go. And that was what was so heartbreaking to me. Like, why can't she have a life outside of her romantic relationship with this person? Like, there's so much more to mind there. And it just makes you feel like you were brought on to be, to be used. Like, you know, you're, you're, the essence of you, the, the, the blackness, like all these things that made this relationship so novel weren't actually enough to make it um, foundationally sound. And so they just completely let her go. And I am just constantly disappointed by well, well, honey, by Hollywood. <laughs> Thank God they let you go because Cherry don't believe in divorce. <laughs> did not wait till she was 45 to propose right 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 to propose to somebody <laughs> so, so you take your Thank characters you. very serious then huh you like you really like you really look into you just, you just don't recite a script you actually look into the whole character and like see see beyond see see what's next and all that you really take it serious huh you know i would i would like to think that as an actor it's my job to portray a character in as believable way as I can. And the only way I can do that is to connect with that character and then make her make sense. And even if we have, you know, different histories and different backgrounds, um, we gotta find a way to intersect where I can say, oh yeah, I can embody this character. Um, and the only way I know how to do that is, is to take it seriously. You know, it feels like the least that I can do after somebody has sat down to write this damn thing and producers have come in to like create a world around it and all this money has gone into it. And so it feels like this is my job. Like how do I bring this person to life and, and invigorate this character and make audiences want to see her? And again, that is why I don't I don't want to take any roles that don't that don't fit me or that don't make sense to me because I want to feel good about myself and what I'm putting out in the world at the end of the day, because Hollywood, Hollywood is a is a fickle beast and she'll, you know, Sherry, she'll leave you hanging. She makes us feel bad. She gets on the <laughs> This girl knows everybody's lines, every beat. She don't have no script in her hand. So when I'd be like, oh, we were supposed to be learning our lines. <laughs> we were playing. No, absolutely. No, let me say this, that when you come on as a recurring guest star, I feel like I have to prove something to the people and let them know that they brought me there for a reason and that I'm going to, you know what I mean? So like, Soleil and Cherry have a lot of lines. I don't as many lines as them so if i don't come to set knowing my shit then like girl get out of here go on with you go on i don't have a lot of lines either <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's be real what? I, don't have a lot of, I don't have a lot of scenes no but i'm so busy but i mean i get my lines before it's time to say action Oh, please. Cherry is really painting herself as this like fly by the seat of her pants actor. Clearly, she is so learned and experienced that she can, you know what I mean? Like, we just but have am, a different. I am having a lot of fun. And that that reads and I feel like that is more important because you can tell that your relationship and your rapport with the other characters is like so easy and so natural and you're very easy to watch wow. because of that. So obviously people will take that over knowing every character's lines any day of the week, but no, I got to prove something. I'm trying not to get fired. Okay, so I have to show up 
and know what's going on. <laughs> We're a family. Cherry doesn't believe in divorce. Like you can't, you can't <laughs> And I got witnesses. So wait, it's, it's not it's letting my fiance walk out. I got witnesses. It's all true. It's all true. <laughs> I mean, just having this conversation with you so far, I mean, that lawyer role that you're playing, I mean, it, I mean, it's like you, it's like something behind that. Like you really got that in. Like I can see you, you in the courtroom, like fearing <laughs> you. I, I would like you representing me. God forbid if I ever got in trouble. I'm serious. Like, oh my God. Like she, she does things with her hands. Yeah. They brought on, I don't even know what it's called, a something, what was it, a miter saw? A miter saw, good job, Cherry. Thanks. Now, now what's that? Like, she was like, oh, all you had to do is go like this and like go, and I was like, you know how to use that thing? Oh my God, a miter saw is a saw um, that you can use to cut like long pieces of material, like long thin pieces. It's the kind that's got a handle and you pull it and it starts and you push it down like that and it goes into the wood. Mm. Um, and so the props guy came up to me and he was like, so this is a miter saw and he's about to tell me how to use it. And I was like, I have one. It's, we can skip that part and just <laughs> tell me when you want me to do it. But you know, it's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I was like, I ain't touching it, bro. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she really is my balance. And I'm so thankful just to get to have you. Oh, thank you, Cherry. I feel bad because I feel like I just took all the questions. I didn't even, I know the people that watch this show want to see Cherry and you guys talk. You guys got 10 minutes. Go ahead and get it in. <laughs> I, 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 got, I mean, I could just ask like, you know, a bunch of nerdy questions all day. So no. go ahead, go ahead. you guys get it in. Jessica, one of the things that they've been saying is, oh, I didn't know that Trey was a lesbian. And I said, Trey's not a lesbian. Trey is queer. <laughs> tell them, tell them, Cherry. Yeah, so can you explain? And then they're like, well, I thought queer was bad. And I'm like, no. It's, um, this is not a perfect uh, analogy, but in the way that, and I will say for the purposes of this show, uh, the N-word is bad when some people use it, but it is a word that has been reclaimed by the black community in a way to say, you don't get to hold this down with a word. We'll use that damn word like on our own. You don't you don't get to be uh, the the king of, of vocabulary for us. Uh, so queer, the word queer is a little bit like that in uh, whereas in one particular time in history, it was used as a derogatory term. But even then, that is arguable because, like, you can use any word <laughs> to hurt somebody, whether or not the definition of that word is actually negative. So queer, uh, you know, the actual definition of it means weird or different. And people would use that word, you know, to hurl. But a lot of people are like, yes, I am. I am different. I am outside of the norm. Mm -hmm. And so um, for me, when I learned that word, and I also understand that it is a privilege to have never had that word used against me as a slur. I feel like it was used as a slur decades ago, like between the I don't know how early, but definitely up into like the 50s and 60s and maybe 70s. And at some point it started being reclaimed and people were like, yes, I am queer. You, you can't hurt just because you use that word doesn't mean that you're making me feel bad about myself. And so when you look at the um, all the letters in LGBTQIA plus, 
um, the queer, the Q in that, in that, in those letters stands for queer and questioning. And I just love that so much. Like talk about an inclusive community that says, you might not know exactly what you are, but if you even think that this might be the community for you, you belong here. You get your own letter, have fun with it. Congratulations. <laughs> so um, when I learned what queer meant, there, it's so powerful to me in a lot of different ways, because number one, it doesn't actually tell you all that much about me. It tells you that I'm not straight, but it doesn't, queer is an umbrella term and it, it can be a lot of different things in there. And the truth is that not everybody deserves to know the details of what my romantic or emotional life looks like. And so when I say queer, that might leave people guessing what it means and we can have a conversation about it if I'm interested in having a conversation about it with you, but otherwise that's all, that's all that you get, you know? And so, um, yeah. And also I like that queer, that queer makes it feel like a family, uh, in a way that's saying lesbian doesn't, although obviously lesbian is the completely acceptable term. If that is how you identify, that's all good, mm -hmm. but you can be queer and be trans, you know, like your queerness can be the fact that you're trans or it can be your non-binariness or it can be your intersexuality or it could be your asexuality. Like it just means all these different things. And what it does is it makes it feel like we're stronger when we're all holding hands together under this big letter Q than we are individually as this person, this person, this person. And so it's really just about what makes an individual feel comfortable. You know, like, I don't think there's any word, um, that, that, you know, somebody shouldn't use if, if that's the, what, how they want to identify. And also it can change. And that's another great thing about being queer and identifying as queer is that, um, you can you can jump you can try other stuff out you can experiment and say oh what does this feel like how does this feel i don't know let me see but still feel like you're under the safety of this big community that is just wanting to support you I and like just queer i don't like, I don't like labels <laughs> mm -hmm. well think... yeah queer feels like an anti-label in a lot of ways so yeah. that makes sense yeah like absolutely jessica uh, what's the mm -hmm. dumbest thing a man ever said to you and i think i kind of know but what What's the dumbest thing a man ever said to you? Like if they're trying to approach you or not knowing that, you know. I'm trying to think about the last time I talked to a man. Oh. <laughs> like literally because of the pandemic, like I just, I'm like. <laughs> well, what about your DMs? You don't get them in your DMs because they are my DMs all day. I oh my God. I do not because I read them for filth. When they come into my DMs with a, Damn, I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast, but with like a tongue emoji and some like juice squirting or whatever, I'm like, you know what? You don't, this has been acceptable for far too long. It is not okay to come up to just anybody that you want to and say anything to them because would you do it in real life? And a lot of people feel like there is this anonymity with social media so that they can get away with saying stuff. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're blocked. Never again. Don't you come here. And if they come into my comments on my post, I also read them for filth and they usually unfollow me. So I actually don't get, I've gotten one dick pic in my whole life. Like I feel so, I'm serious. It's amazing. Watch me like get so many. I, I get so many. I talk about them. I read them for filth. I block them and they come back. And you still get them? 
and I can identify it. That's how I know it's the same person. Cause I'm like, yo, that's that same low mode. It was, on. and it's never anything impressive. You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, that's that same low mode. It was on that one last week. That's the same dude. Oh my God. See, I feel, I feel like you have a different experience having grown up in the industry. And like Courtney said, so many people being like, that's my girl and do having lots of lovely dreams about you at night. And I feel like they think because they feel like they know you, they think that that gives them the power to, to talk to you any kind of way. And it's just Oh, it's so filthy. And I'm so sorry. I'm just sorry. I'm so sorry too, but I just was hoping I passed some of that along to you. (laughs) I felt so wrong, but. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I need to start reading them for filth more or something. So yeah. Because I I get weird stuff. I get like, I want to suck your toes in the morning and then wash, paint them orange. Like a guy, Jason. I'm calling you out. Don't don't send me that stuff no more because I keep blocking you, Jason. But you keep coming back. What is wrong? Listen, the whole foot thing. I do get a lot of feed stuff, and I will say it's. I think that guys think that they can get away with foot stuff because it's not a, a typically sexualized body part. So it's not like you know a boob or a butt cheek or something. So they think they can say anything about your toes, and I'm like, no. If it's sexualized. I don't want it. I do not want it. It doesn't matter if it's my ring finger or a a strand of my hair or my earlobe. It doesn't matter. You are not allowed to treat me a stranger on the internet and talk to me any kind of way that you want to. Yes, leave my feet alone. It is Leave Cherry's feet alone. Do you have groupies? Yes. I bet Cherry does. I I do not have groupies. Yes. Cherry does. My groupies are like sewing groupies. They're like maker groupies. They're like into fabric. That's that's my people. And I will take them. I love it. It's so great. <laughs> I just want you guys to start checking out everything that you see her wear. Because I literally, if I didn't see her in the process of making these things, I'd be like, no. But like one day you see this little ball of cotton and the next day she's like, you know, <laughs> You did that like while you were in the trailer or stuff? You were somewhere? Oh, yeah. I actually brought my sewing machine to the trailer because I have a travel sewing machine. Because Cherry knows we were spending some hours. We were putting in hours of not doing anything in those trailers. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? Like, there's only so many books I can read. Um, I'm going to I'm going to make stuff. So I brought my little sewing machine and my fabric and I made a couple of things. And I also brought my knitting which is like a constant thing. I'm always working on knitting stuff. So not only that, but she does pottery too. She even made. Oh yeah, pottery. I did. I did. I do. Yeah. Actually, I have. I'm putting all these. Um, I'm mailing out all these boxes today because I did a fundraiser yesterday for this organization called Sela that is in Los Angeles, and they uh, work to provide like resources and help and food and showers to the unhoused community in LA, which as you know, was already bad, but with COVID, with the pandemic is just like really, really awful. And people who own property in these nice, rich little neighborhoods that we live in think that, um, that like homeless people should never be in their face. They don't, they don't want to see them. And it's like, where, where do you want them to go? If you don't provide housing for them, yeah. 
where are they supposed to use the bathroom? Like they're like, you know, they shit on the sidewalk and there's trash everywhere. They're human bodies. Like they still need the things that a human body needs. And we need to help them get to a better place because the government is not providing assistance for them as they should be doing. Anyway, long story short, I did a fundraiser and I raised $1,100 yesterday. I sold pieces of my pottery and I donated all the proceeds to Sila. I'm so excited. It was very Why successful. Tell me, when you, when you do it again, will you let me know? I will absolutely let you know. I'll absolutely let you know. It was, it was really fun. Yes, you did. And her stuff is beautiful. And I'm not just saying that because she's here. Like we You're talked sweet. about it on her back and we were like, <laughs> can you believe she made this? Can you believe You're so sweet. Oh my gosh. I appreciate you. Oh, she's perfect. Do you know I I said your name wrong the other day? Did you? Oh, yeah, I said Jessica Lynn because my daughter is Rhythm Lynn. I mixed. That's cute. I like that. I was gonna say I mixed your name up with my daughter's, and I was like, wait a minute, that's not her name. Her name is Jessica Nicole. I that is so cute. You can you can call me Jessica Lynn though. Also, I'd like to say that Cherry's the only person whose name I've been able to correct for other people. Cause they keep calling her Sherry. All the, I even had to correct it on an interview I did the other day on TV, and they were like, "Sherry, Sherry, Sherry," and I was like, "What? Why can't y'all read number one and number two? That's not how you say it." Thank you. You're that, welcome. That, that's crazy. That's how. You. That's actually how me and her met. Me and Sherry met because the person I was interviewing on another show kept saying, "I did a scene with Sheree," and I was like, <gasps> "Are you serious?" And I said, "Who is Sheree?" And she was like, Darius, who's the uh who does Cherie play? It's like, oh, she played Maxine. I'm like, that's Cherry. I said it. That's Cherry. Like, I know who that is. I didn't know who Cherie was. The crazy thing is, we were on the set. My character's name is Cherry. And some people kept saying, and I still feel bad about the way I corrected the one guy who had been saying my name right for weeks. And then I don't know what came And then me. started saying it wrong. He's, uh, Something Sherry and I. Who are you talking to? My name. I didn't mean for it to be like a diva moment. I was really, but the set kind of got quiet, and I think people didn't know like where my energy was. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would. You remember? I was joking. I was just like, "Who are you talking to? My name is Cherry." But that is hysterical to me. I love it so much. Like, no, really, who are you talking to? Because I've never met a Jessica in my life. Is she on the set? Because, wow, she's going to be a first for me. Jessica? <laughs> Through my shield and my mask a few times, I was going, who her are name you is, talking to? I was like, her name is Jessica. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh my! I I just never imagined that you would also have to go through name pronunciation stuff because I feel like your name is pretty obvious, but it don't matter. It just happens. So, thank you. Love her. thank you, Boo Boos, for coming and playing with me. This was great. Thank you all so much, Courtney. You're lovely. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, thank you. Wow. Thank you. Absolutely. Nice You're wonderful. You I'm a big fan yeah. too. Yeah. I can't wait to see what's next on season two. Me too. I really the last appreciate season, that. The, the last episode was like, okay, it's a lot. A lot of things was left hanging. Yeah. Like, yeah. We need some answers, so it got to come back. Yes, I agree. I love it when shows do that, when they give you something to like, to yeah. be interested in instead of like wrap it up in a bow. Right. Yeah. I actually cried when I watched it, Jessica. I didn't realize oh. that 
I, I'm so, you know, Soleil and I were just being us. I didn't realize that when we exited and came into the kitchen to see you guys, we held hands, but I think I just grabbed her hand because that's what we Oh, did. that's so cute. And when I saw it, I cried. <laughs> like a little fool. I was like, oh, Jessica knows. Courtney, I cried all the time, like probably every other day. I'm predicting they're going to announce season two and season three at the same time. Oh, big words, Courtney. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, if it does, I'm coming back on the show. Yeah. Yes, please. <laughs> and you know what? When you work on something else, you have anything that you want to promote or like the fundraiser that you did, please let us know. Come back. Okay. Make Thank a damn you. video without us and we gonna post it anyway. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you so much, Cherry. I love you. I love you too. I miss you. And I will I see miss you. I miss you too. I'm claiming. I will see you soon. I will okay. see you soon. We're putting it into the universe. Hey, if you're listening to Cherry's World Podcast on Apple Podcast and iTunes, please give us a five star. Let us know what you think. Leave us a review. I want to hear from you. Thank you. Welcome to Cherry's World. Head over to Grits Teas. That's G R I double T double E Z dot com. They've got something for everybody athletics, humor, spiritual, and the woke communities. Come express yourself through apparel that communicates passion and perseverance. Use the checkout code CHERRY and you'll get 10% off of everything right now. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.